This is Double, Double Strength. Strength Mama Power. It's the Stuff Podcast. Being a parent is full of surprises. And any one day, the mood of your toddler can swing from frustration, happiness, back to frustration, tantrums and tears. That's why we make our and mum toddler milk surprise-free. With nutrients including 15 essential vitamins and minerals and no added sugars. Giving your little ones the strength to grow. And Double Strength Mama Power gives you the power to keep going. And mum, you've got this. My strategy was to make sure I got up an hour before my own kids because I was quite grumpy in the morning and I didn't want to be that parent. I sounded like my mother. <laughs> so <laughs> if I got up an hour early um, and had time to chill, have my morning coffee, I was a much nicer parent by the time the kids got up. That is such a smart idea. And we're going to hear more practical ideas in this episode from our guest Nathan Wallace about helping children feel valued and secure. Now, Nathan knows a lot about children's brains and how they grow and develop. He sure does. And look, that's so important. The idea of feeling valued and secure is just its just essential. And Nathan's specialty is neuroscience, so he really goes into the science behind why this is important. He is the guru on what makes kids tick on the inside and the way they behave in response to what we do as parents. Mm, oh, Tui, isn't it so easy to forget that when your child is losing it, you know, throwing a major tanty, <laughs> they might in fact be responding to what we're doing as an adult. Might, in fact, or absolutely <laughs> are. Um, look, I can so relate to that. And Nathan's really clear on this as well. He says the same goes for all of us, adults as well. So when we're trying to express how we feel, if we feel that we're not being listened to, well, we're all eventually going to have a tantrum, aren't we? Well, let's face it, it's not rocket science, is it, Tui? No, Susie, it's neuroscience. <laughs> and Nathan is the man on this stuff. This is Double Strength Mama Power. Kia ora koutou. When you're raising kids, coping with meltdowns, defiance and all kinds of bumpy behaviour is a fact of life. But as a parent, those clashes and the sense of being judged for your ability to discipline can sap your energy and joy of being with your child. So how can you help them deal with their big feelings without being too controlling yourself? Our guest today has put a lot of thought into figuring this stuff out. Nathan Wallace is a father of three and is a passionate foster parent. He's worked as a child counsellor and a lecturer in human development and was a trainer with the Brainwave Trust. Nathan, so great to have you with us today. Okay, so we all have tantrums. It doesn't matter how old we are. But what's the difference between garden variety meltdowns and the real oppositional behaviour? Uh, I suppose a lot of it's to do with age and stage. You know, we expect the two-year-old to be tantruming. We expect them to have meltdowns. It's a developmental stage. And that developmental stage isn't really just twos. That's sort of a two- and three-year-old, you know, sort of starting to calm down when they're four, where the child's learning about their boundaries. So that's your garden variety meltdown. Um, you know, my line of work, working with children with trauma, um, you know, ma major meltdowns are when they seem to be out of context and when they don't seem to have had a sufficient trigger. So the kid... Um, can't tell what set them off and then their reaction is, is really huge you know the reaction is more than just for themselves and getting upset and crying but it involves um, you know objects and other people that's when it's not just your garden variety tantrum how about for kids that little bit older it's all very dependent on the way they're interacted with because the child's not just a little island by themselves, 100% responsible for their behaviour. Children are a system, that, you know, part of a system. That system's a family. Um, so they're responding to people's behaviour. 
So I would say, yes, if a child is still being bullied into good behaviour and feels like they completely haven't got a voice and no one listens to them, then I would imagine they would tantrum for the rest of their lives. We do that as an adult. If you eventually, you know, you're trying to express how you're feeling, you're trying to say your point of view and no one listens to you, you and I will eventually have a tantrum as well. So if children are put in that environment, they will have tantrums. So we've all wanted to have the last word. <laughs> I think I can say yeah. that I've done that. Would you say that that is kind of a, a bullying tactic from a parent's point of view? No, I think a bullying tactic is just when you try and, I think having the last word's fine, that can just be part of discipline and being the person that's in charge. I think bullying is more when you just try and scare the child into compliance because they're too scared of the uh, consequences. Or you've got an attitude of, no, you don't get a say in this, you just shut up and do as you're told. I think what we see very clearly, you see this in the literature, you see it anecdotally, kids that are parented in that way will tantrum far, far more and be far more oppositional than children that feel like they've got a space where they're able to be we're able to express themselves. I mean, I don't want smart-mouthed kids that want the last answer either, but I think it's just about giving kids appropriate boundaries to express themselves. So, like, for instance, my children were allowed to talk to me, you know, most of the time they're expected to talk to me as a father where they show respect because I've got to teach them how to communicate respectfully, um, have good boundaries. But if they were in the garage with me one-on-one, -on -one, they were allowed to talk to me like a mate. So my kids had a avenue where they could be blunt with me. Where they didn't have to follow all those social conventions of do as dad's told and he's I'm not allowed to answer back and, you know, they had a place for their voice. They also knew if I had friends in the garage, then they, then they had to speak to me as if we were inside. If there were other kids in the garage, you know, the only time they were allowed to speak to me like a mate was one-on-one -on -one and in the garage. I think that just gave them a voice. How about when you're dealing with your own emotions? Often if you're asking for that pair of shoes to be put on for the fifth time in the morning, yet again, you know, <laughs> how many weeks in a row, how are we best to deal with our own emotions? Yeah, that can be really difficult, managing your own emotions. And I think, uh, you know, my strategy was to make sure I got up an hour before my own kids because I was quite grumpy in the morning and I didn't want to be that parent. I sounded like my mother. <laughs> so <laughs> I got up an hour early um, and had time to chill, have my morning coffee. I was a much nicer parent by the time the kids got up. So I think it's um, yeah, finding your own strategies for managing your emotions. For me, it was preventing those emotions from rising up by just taking some time to chill in the morning. Other parents, it just means, it can mean those things as simple as getting things ready the night before. If you know the morning is your stress time and everything's going to um, blow up in the morning, then as much of them making the lunches the night before and getting the PE gear into the bag, you know, the more you can do the night before and just make that stressful time less primed for extreme emotion. When do they need to start doing it themselves? When do they need to start doing it for themselves? Um, whenever they need to start doing it for themselves. Like, um, you know, some will never need to do it for themselves because they'll marry someone who's going to do it for them for the rest of their life. <laughs> um, some will need to start doing it for themselves from the age of four because um, they've got, you know, um, incompetent parents. It's going to be different for everybody. I certainly think... I, I think it's fine to do it for your teenager. You know, I have this argument with parents because people think that if you don't make them do it themselves when they're 11, they're never, ever going to do it, whereas I take the opposite view. I say if you are doing it for them all the way through adolescence, um, what you get is kids that are used to being organised, used to turning up with their PE gear, and then when they leave home, they're people that are used to being organised because you organise them, so now they will start to organise themselves. Sometimes we just fight with teenagers the whole time to get things like their PE gear in the bag, and it actually makes no difference to their work ethic or whether they remember as an adult. 
you know, I remember a lot of people, my mother would keep the house really tidy and us kids didn't have to do any cleaning. So under that conventional thinking, it was like, oh, those kids are all going to grow up to be lazy and piggy and messy because none of them know how to clean a house. Whereas in reality, all of us have grown up used to living in a tidy house. So yeah, we did nothing when we were kids, but we're all clean as adults and keep our house tidy. It's not what you were made to do, it's more what you get used to. With oppositional behaviour, that can affect the whole family, can't it? Yes. I think it's that thing about giving the child a voice. So if the child's really oppositional, it's oftentimes because they don't feel listened to. So you've got to come up with a strategy that allows that child to feel listened to. I mean, I mentioned the one of giving a place, like in the garage where they're allowed to. Um, Oliver James is a UK psychologist. He does this um, thing called love bombing. And love bombing is basically where you set aside like 10 minutes or 20 minutes, whatever time you decide a week, where you play with, you just give that time to your child. You say, okay, here I am, I'm available to you for this 10 minutes. It's got to be at a predictable time so the child knows when it's going to happen. So it might be, you know, Thursday at 4 o'clock, or if the kid can't tell the time, then it's when the Shortland Street music starts or something. But anchor it in a way that the kid can predict it, and then give them... Um, 10 minutes where they're in charge of the play because for their whole life the parents are in charge and the parents tell you what to do and the parents make the rules and the parents correct you so give them 10 minutes whereby now okay you're in charge we'll do whatever you want children usually are skeptical of that for a start and just you know play playstation for 10 minutes but once they realize you're really committed to it and you keep doing it you create this very intimate space for 10 minutes where the child really feels like they're being fully listened to emotionally, spiritually, mentally, not interrupted, not corrected, and so they finally got a space to have a voice. So love bombing is simply giving that 10 minutes a week where you put aside the rules of being a parent. I mean, obviously you don't let them hit you overhead with a piece of 4 by 2 There's clear boundaries around your own <laughs> safety, but, but other than the obvious boundaries, now the kid's in charge for 10 minutes. Um, when that child is then able to express whatever they want in that 10 minutes, I think you'll find much less oppositional behaviour the rest of the time. I mean, that's a way more complicated. Sometimes it's just as simple as making sure as the parent that you reflect back their emotion before you tell them what to do. So children are largely live in their mammal brain, the limbic system, which is all about emotions. So let's say the kid's world's 90% emotion. Um, the adult's world's sort of 90% logic. So we tend to go straight to logic. But if a child's having a hissy fit and you go straight to logic, they feel like they're not listened to. So a nice simple strategy for parents is actually just reflect back the emotion that they're giving to you before you give any information. So when the kid's having a, you know, screaming hissy fit because you won't give them a biscuit before um, dinner, rather than saying, don't be silly, it's only five minutes till dinner time, which is, you can just wait, which is a strategy and a thinking thing, saying something like, look, I know it's really upset you that you, because you really, really wanted a biscuit before dinner. And that, something as simple as that, and then saying, but mate, it's only five minutes till dinner time and you can have a biscuit after dinner, it's amazing how much more effective that second approach is, simply because you acknowledge 90% of their worldview and you made them feel listened to by saying something as simple as, I know it's made you really angry and or it's really upset you. Wow, something as simple as that. I, mean, I find it hard to believe that a 10 minute, 10 minutes a week would be enough. I guess I'm a mum that would love bomb at every opportunity. Is, is, that, yeah. a, is that a negative I thing to say, Yeah, I'd say that if you've got a severe, you know, when I'm working with parents that have fostered children that come from severe trauma, we do love bombing much more often. But actually, I find in the typical home, typical mainstream middle class New Zealand home, actually 10 minutes a week is enough because we underestimate, we think our kids always have a voice, but... We underestimate just how the rest of the time, how often we interrupt them and correct them and tell them they're not allowed to do that. So even 10 minutes a week, you'd be amazed at how effective that can be. How easy is it to kind of break the cycle of parenting that you've experienced as a child yourself? 
Um, relatively easy, I think. It's just about making it conscious. If you're running on automatic pilot, then you tend to have, you know, mum or dad's voice come sailing out of your mouth. But I think the parents that participate in parent education and, and um, you know, whatever form that is, whether it's reading books or looking at YouTube clips or looking and listening to stuff like this, um, and they're reflecting on their parenting, then they're sort of making themselves conscious of what they're doing. And I think if you're conscious of your parenting, um, then it's quite easy to change, actually. I mean, it's not immediate, and it takes some work, but it's not difficult. It's just about making it conscious and then persevering. And as far as dealing with those little emotions, the ones, those little tantrums or the little upsets, what would be your recommendation? Being available emotionally for your children is always a good idea. I think we've got to remember that we're not supposed to punish children away from having emotions. It's actually our job to teach them how to be emotionally intelligent and how to manage those emotions. And if you're saying, go to your room, Whenever there's an objection, that doesn't breed emotional intelligence. You can't do that with your partner. Anytime you're having an argument to their room, it doesn't, you know, facilitate good conversation. So, but, oh, I'd be wary of just getting down and cuddling them without them necessarily wanting you to cuddle them. Because, again, would you do that to another person? Would you do that to your friend? Um, if you knew your friend responded well to cuddles, then you would. So if I knew your child is what they wanted, then I would. But I wouldn't just impose a cuddle on someone that didn't necessarily want it at that moment. So I might just get down beside the child and get down to their level and just acknowledge their feelings and say, oh, honey, I can see you're really upset. Um, and then I might just open my palms out and say, um, would you like Dad to help? Would you like a cuddle? But I'd offer it to her. Um, and then when she screamed at me, no, go away, <laughs> then I would say, okay, honey, that's fine. Dad's just going to sit here and um, Dad's here and available. If, you know, Dad's just going to sit here and wait. If you want to cuddle, you just ask Dad and I'll come over and give you one. So I don't impose myself on her, but I don't go away and leave her either. I just make myself available. So she sort of feels listened to, calms herself down, might take her a minute before she rushes over and jumps in my arms. I think then we've resolved it. I've still maintained the boundary. You know, if it wasn't giving her a biscuit, I've still maintained that. But I don't have to be mean. I don't have to punish. I don't have to punish her for having a, a tantrum if it's normal. I think I just need to help and support. Mm-hmm. I'm not into punishing kids. I think we're, our, we're supposed to help kids. That's what our job is as parents. This whole punishment thing belongs back in the 18th century. Some really valuable tips there, Tui. Oh, look, so much. He is he is such an expert, isn't he? Um, and it's great to be able to listen to an expert and take insights and, and tools and tips that you can try yourself. Um, but also, I think, don't lose sight of the fact that you know the answers inside. We all have amazing intuition. And so when you are in the moment of that massive tantrum, to just pause and listen to what feels natural to do in your own body and for your kids is is actually an amazing thing to do. I find. What, what about you? Well, I think remembering too that each child is so different. So what might work, when well, a strategy or a tactic might work for one child, isn't necessarily going to work mm. for another. So I've got a very strong um, older child mm-hmm. and a more soft and gentle and sensitive younger child. So mm. what works for one doesn't necessarily work for the other. Mm-hmm. I mean, Nathan talked about doing everything for his kids, mm. tidying you know, rooms. I, 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 when I heard him say that, absolutely great for him and anyone else that wants to parent that way. This isn't about telling people how to do it at all. But for me, I kind of went, oh, no, no, that's that's not how I do things. In our house, it's really important that both my 
both my littlies, and they are only wee, they're five and seven, um, make contributions. And so the night before school, they need to lay their school uniforms out. And in the morning, they'll help set the table and get the bowls and spoons out for their cereal. They'll pack their bags. I think it's really important that they have contributions to make because in doing that, they are building their own sense of self-worth. They're building their own identity as in, this is who I am and this is what I can do and this is how I contribute. And I think that helps them find their voice and find confidence in their voice. So actually for me, it is about contributing and absolutely not doing everything for my children. And you know, that's not only helping them, it's helping me too, because it's a whole dynamic. This is not about we are here 100% categorically to be parents to our children. Yes, we are, but we're also our own individual people and we're also husband, wife, partner, whatever else we are. And so we need to find ways of making things work for the whole dynamic. We understand that looking after a tiny human is a huge task. That's why we created this podcast, to help you feel like you're not in this alone. Proudly brought to you by Anmumpedia Pro 3 Toddler Milk, helping give your little ones the strength to grow. This is a breathing practice that you can do for yourself and with your child. The breath can be a powerful mind-body connection, a way to bring your mind and body, including your emotions, back into balance. The reason for this, just a quick little bit of science, is because when we breathe properly, fully engaging our diaphragm, it stimulates our vagus nerve, which activates the parasympathetic nervous system, more commonly known as your rest and digest state, your calm state, versus the opposing fight or flight state. People's breathing changes whenever their emotional state changes. In the midst of tantrum, children's breath is usually shallow, ragged, they're breathing up in their chest. The same goes for us when our emotions are heightened to a stress state. To bring yourself back to calm, and you can do this now, bring your hands to your belly, palms on either side of your torso, just under your rib cage, fingers splayed toward each other, meeting at your belly button. Allow the middle fingertips to touch each other. Now we're going to breathe with your hands resting gently here. On your inhale, you're going to imagine sending your breath all the way down past your chest to your belly. You're filling your lungs from the bottom, then they're expanding outwards, and only then do the top of your lungs fill and you feel your chest expand, but only slightly. The focus is on your belly expanding with breath, and as it does, your fingertips will move away from each other, and then back to touch again as you exhale. This is belly breathing. You can do this with your child. Have them place their hands and fingers on their own bellies, copying you. Guide them to send their breath here to their belly and watch as their magical breath can make their fingers move. You can also have them lie down and place something special and small on their belly, like a soft toy or a shell or a crystal, and they can watch that move up and down as their belly rises and falls. In doing this, you're doing two things, restorative breathing and directing your attention to a place of focus. Both things are mindfulness practices to bring you and your child back to a place of calm. 
I do this with my daughters who are five and seven and it really works. They love it, it gives them control and it empowers them. It's another tool in their mindfulness and resilience toolkit which they can use anytime. My girls tell me they do their belly breathing at school when they get upset, which is so great for them and it's great for me to know that they're cultivating resilience, developing their own inner strength to deal with their world. Tui, what ages were the girls when you introduced them to yoga? It was the term before Olive started um, primary school. And I was very aware that she was transitioning through kindy to primary. And so I actually enrolled her in a little kids yoga class, which was beautiful for her because she learned it from someone else, but then she could come home to me and share all the excitement of what she'd learned without it being mum that taught her. Oh, lovely. <laughs> Oh my goodness, January, we are well on our way into the year. We are. Juggling life and work and family. It's a busy, busy time. Mm -hmm. So next week, we're going to be talking to a young dad who knows all about the juggle and how it can be a bit of a struggle. He has a music career and a gorgeous daughter. He has a new partner and her child that he's trying to balance wow. with. So big time. So I'm looking forward to having a chat to him. Kings, the rapper. With the friends that I came up with, Smooth sailing like we own a ship, yeah, and we don't worry about it. Ooh, ah. <laughs> <laughs> you get it, you yeah. get it, they get it. As the sun shines and you head to the beach carrying more baggage than a Sherpa, you'll be happy to know that our and mum toddler milk comes with no unnecessary extras, with no added sugars, and just more of the wholesome goodness of dairy. And Mum Pedia Pro 3, made for little New Zealanders by New Zealanders. <laughs> 